we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my great friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we are honored to have from National Review, Jay Nordlinger. Ron, how's it going? Very good, Ed. We couldn't have timed having Jay on better right after an election to get his take, a bizarre year. What an end to a bizarre year. So I'm really no. looking forward to this. I remember sending you an email and saying, who would, who would you like to have on the Friday after election day? And you said, Jay, Jay Nordlinger. I said, well, go after it. And you got Absolutely. it. And here, here he is. So, but Jay, let's, let's do a quick, I'm, I'm, quick. I'm so, I'm so easy, guys. If only you would know. And I just, <laughs> I'm delighted and flattered to be here with you. And I, I love that Reagan quote. It reminds me, I believe Warren Brooks, the great Warren Brooks, wrote a book called The Economy right. in Mind or of exactly Mind. Exactly right. Uh, yep. Yeah. But and it, believe I, it, or not, it was wonderful I, to hear Reagan's voice. I, I believe it or not, I, in order to, for, to make that work in the segment with the music, I actually had to edit out the, his name <laughs> of the, the quote because Reagan actually does mention uh, oh, no him kidding. In, huh. in the speech. Yeah. Um, so, but I had to cut that, that piece out. Anyway, let's do the quick bio so we can dispense with that and get right to it. Jay Nordlinger is a senior editor There's of so National little, Review. so little to say, Ed. Uh, yes, <laughs> a book fellow at National Review Institute. He writes about a variety of subjects, including politics, foreign affairs, and the arts. He is the music critic for the new Criterion. For National Review website, he writes a column called Impromptus with Mona Charon. He hosts the Need to Know podcasts, and he also hosts a podcast called Q&A. His latest book, which Ron is going to talk to him about, is Children of Monsters, an Inquiry into the Sons and Daughters of Dictators. Well, officially welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, <laughs> Jay Nordlinger. Um, what the hell happened this week? What's going on? <laughs> we have a, a divided country. It's pretty much a 50-50 country. Um, you know, call it 52, 48, whatever. But uh, for some of my kind of math, it's half and half. And um, I, I think a lot of us wish that the result had been, uh, well, what tense should we even speak in, Ed? I'm not sure. I, do, do, do we have a president-elect? I, I find myself no. unable to speak the language. I'm not sure what tenses to use. Uh, uh, but uh, it wasn't a clear-cut Tuesday night, was it? And things linger. Uh, we haven't voted in a pandemic before, at least in a very long time. I guess we had a presidential election in 1920. Was it over by then? Uh, probably. I think it was mainly in 18 and 19. But this has been a very strange year in so many ways. And I, to use an old expression, I feel like the country's been put through the ringer. Mm. You know, at the same time, we're so lucky. We're such a prosperous country. Uh, you, you, you can't say this to people who are out of work or otherwise suffering. Uh, because it's offensive. Uh, we're in better shape than many, many countries in the world, uh, but still it's been terribly, terribly painful. And uh, the political drama, the Trumpian drama packed onto the pandemic, well, I mean, goodness, it's been a battering kind of year. They will probably write opera about this at some point in the future, <laughs> won't they? <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, so there have been many pandemic novels, and <laughs> there have already been novels written in tweets, and there will be endless studies of the 45th president's tweets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. School kids of the future will think 2020 is a pretty juicy year. Well, I'm thinking a retelling of yet another retelling of Romeo and Juliet, you know, with with the Dems and the the Repubs or whatever. Oh uh, yeah. Because you know, and and not many people know this, but the reason for Romeo not making the rendezvous with his uh, the, the the person passing the message on to Juliet was because he got stuck in a in a quarantine. <laughs> so it was it's perfect. It's. it's <laughs> Right. Yeah, and he, we get he was in a quarantine house. Yeah, quarantine comes from Italian. Quarantina meaning forty. Yeah. I, I think I think forty days I had to stay on on the ship in, in in certain harbors at certain times. So I'll be darned. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there's the perfect tie-in for that. But can it, I tell you a goofy little thing about Romeo and Juliet? Sure. I, I heard this song, and it sounds so silly. But once you know it, you never forget it. Uh, the way to figure out who's who's a Montague and who's a Capulet, uh, her name actually rhymes, Juliet Capulet. And when I, I was probably, you know, I think I was in my mm. 40s when I heard that. I'm like, whoa, if only I had known earlier on. <laughs> well, I was I was listening to uh, John McWhorter's podcast, Lexicon Valley. I don't know if you mm. if you get a chance to listen to that. He great was talking title. about, yeah, it is. It's a great title. And he did a whole show on the word why. And the one of one of the examples that he brings up is the wherefore art thou Romeo? She, she, he was not asking where she was. <laughs> he was where, where he was. He was right there. Mm-hmm. It, that meant why are you a why are you a Montague? That that mm-hmm. was really the, the 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 rationale behind it. Anyway, let's get back to to this crazy election uh, story. And um, you have been uh, is it best to describe you as a an, an anti-Trumper? I know you're not a never Trumper, but sort of anti-Trump, but you really felt he it was the office was uh, far above him. He really should not have ever even been elect, ascended to the presidency. That's right. That's neatly and politely put. Yes. Uh, I think since 2015, the, the fundamental question has never changed. Uh, is he fit in mind and character to be president? And many say yes, and many say no. And there's a great gulf between those two sides. And I think the gulf is pretty much unbridgeable. We see, we behold uh, the same man, and yet uh, we behold uh, uh, different men uh, because uh, people see him so very, very differently. And um, I think he is, uh, well, uh, not my kind of leader, not my kind of president, not my kind of man, um, but tens of millions of Americans disagree with me. Yeah, and I, I, it was interesting. I've I've been unfriended on Facebook from a number of people already this week because uh, I'm a I'm a libertarian. I should say staunch. In, died in the will. I was at the Joe Jorgensen campaign event here mm. in Dallas uh, to mm. to celebrate the end of this nonsense, which we never got to. But mm. um, and and what people are are saying is, well, you libertarians, you stole this election from us. I'm like, oh no, it couldn't have been that <laughs> that Donald Trump couldn't have done like maybe one thing that was. A, a, like a regular human being that w- would would have probably turned the election completely over to him if he yeah. had just came out and said, you know what, let's put some masks on. Let's 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 just protect ourselves. I I, I give <laughs> Trump credit for one thing, or, or many things actually, but 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 here's one, and it may sound odd and a little bit amusing. We were talking about Shakespeare earlier. To thine own self be true. Uh, he is very consistent. He is always Trump. 
He is Trump in victory. He is Trump in defeat. He is Trump in between. He doesn't seem to be all that calculating. I don't know that he has it within him to be calculating. He's not a fox. He lets it all hang out, the guy. Uh, he never attempted for one second to be presidential. And as Newt Gingrich said rather memorably, if Trump acts a certain way and he is president by definition, that behavior is presidential. Well, it, I, it's pretty hard to get around that, I think. But, but Trump is always Trump. He's not a shapeshifter. Uh, he wears it on a sleeve. When he gave his convention speech in 2016, I thought, my gosh, he's sounding like Donald Trump. He's not trying to be something else. And I thought, this will sink him for sure. And far from sinking him, well, the man was elected. Yeah, I, I think I would have heard said that if, if Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer had decided to just bend down and kiss the ring maybe in the first year, he would have given him anything he wanted because he's not really ideological. I've said that about, um, what's his name? Good old what's his name? The dictator, dictator of Venezuela, uh, Maduro, Nicolas Maduro. If he had been smarter, he'd have flattered Trump early on and he'd have had no problem. And even then... Trump seemed to shrink from the democracy movement in Venezuela because, according to reports, he was impressed by the fury with which Maduro put it all down. And, you know, Erdogan and the others flattered Trump. And I, I, think, I think that's a very shrewd point about uh, the pair uh, he at least once referred to as Chuck and Nancy. <laughs> and... Interesting. You in in a, a a recent column, I think you brought up the fact that that uh, what really set you off, with, or one of the things that really set you off about Trump was his his calling of Joe Biden uh, in a, in a tweet um, uh, where uh, I'm sorry, the the dictator from from North Korea, Kim Jong Un, Kim, yeah. Kim Jong Un uh, called him out, and it, it, Trump piled on with. On the side of Kim Jong-un. Well, on the campaign trail, Biden called the monstrous, communist, anti-American, murderous dictator of North Korea a dictator and a tyrant, the least you can say about Kim Jong-un. In response, um, Kim called him through state media something like a fool of low IQ or something. And Trump chortled with Kim about this over Twitter. Ah, yeah, we agree on, on, on Joe Biden, on Swamp Man, he said, Joe Biden. Uh, maybe by saying low IQ, Kim is trying to send me a signal. And, and, and they had kind of laugh over this. And I thought, you know, I'm a conservative. I was going to say conservative Republican. I was a Republican until 2016 uh, from the time I was, a, I think, a freshman in college. But I've been against Joe Biden for a great many years as a conservative since at least 1984 when he flirted running for president. Pat Cadell won him to get into the race. But by golly, um, you know, this is the North Korean dictator and an American former vice president. I know which side I'm on. Yeah. Pretty easy one. I, I think there's there's certain starting to be some maybe cracks in the veneer. I, I think I read an, I read or I read an article earlier today that Marco Rubio said something to the effect of you know counting v votes is not fraud. <laughs> Just want to be, be clear. With Can I that. tell you something hilarious, Ed? Hilarious. <laughs> the election's not even over, and Senator Lindsey Graham has already said, you know, maybe we should address the federal budget deficit. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsey. <laughs> That. Why now? You know, why? Not? I mean, unbelievable. These guys are shameless. Absolutely. You're going to discover fiscal responsibility now? It's a little late, baby. 
Yeah, I I posted exactly that on Facebook about mm. a week before the election. Countdown to Republicans gaining fiscal responsibility once again. <laughs> it begins. Wow. So, well, this has been fantastic. We're already up against our first break. Want to remind listeners that they can contact Ron or me by sending one email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes, as well as previews to upcoming shows. Our break here is what is sponsored by 90 Minds, who also sponsor our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash TSOE. Need a mine? Call 90 Minds. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're here with jay nordlinger the senior editor of national review wow jay it's not every day you get to talk to one of your favorite favorite writers but i have to ask you Thank from you, your book here, There, and Everywhere, which was published in 2007, a collection of your writings, you cite Nathan Sharansky, and he talks about totalitarian or fear societies, and he thinks there's three groups in those societies, true believers, dissidents who are in open opposition, and then the double thinkers that talk one way and act another, um, which he thinks is a large and vital group. We were just talking about North Korea. Do you think there are enough of the third type, the double thinkers in North Korea to cause change? People have to be tipped in one direction or another. There's a wonderful old saying, uh, people don't make history, they make a living. And um, in North Korea, uh, people forget making a living. They basically try to stay alive, get enough food, get through the day, 
get through the week. It's a very, very hard existence, even if they don't have political trouble, uh, even if they're not in a, a, a very large gulag. Uh, and more and more news of the outside world is filtering in. And North Koreans are starting to realize in greater numbers that their lives are very abnormal. Uh, there's a slogan in North Korean propaganda, nothing to envy. We have nothing to envy. In fact, there was a book about North Korea with the title, Nothing to Envy. But people are starting to realize, and, and, and they're starting to find out how Koreans live in South Korea. All these people are Koreans, same DNA, same language, same customs, same food to the extent the Northerners can eat. Same, same, same. But two utterly different systems. Uh, there's a literal dark half of Korea because there's not enough, not enough electricity. You see this in satellite photos. And there is a bright half of Korea. So um, I think the Koreas will unite one day the way the Germanys did, but it's going to be a hell of a struggle, uh, much harder than the German experience has been. Uh, in, I talked about similarities between North Koreans and South Koreans. The North Koreans are different even bodily. Charles Krauthammer referred to a bio underclass. I once heard President Clinton say, ex-President Clinton at a conference, I once heard him say that when their soldiers defect to us, they often weigh less than 100 pounds. Um, they're just malnourished, uh, 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 the North Koreans. But, but yes, uh, when the population feels it is safe to tip, they will tip, but there always have to be pioneers, daredevils, and brave hearts. Do you think it'll be peaceful? Well, the North Korean government has nuclear weapons. That's a very sobering fact. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but if, if there is violence, um, uh, Ron, our, our late friend Bill Buckley had an expression that questions like Peking duck requires 24 hours notice. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I think probably there will be some uh, intra-communist party revolt, a revolt against the, the, Kim, the Kims, the dynasty, uh, uh, the court if you will, the, the, the royal court of, of the Kims. And we may have something akin uh, to the post-Stalin period with the party still in control, uh, but different leaders, different and better leaders, bad as they were. Right. One can imagine worse outcomes than that. Or one can imagine a worse step on the way to the ultimate outcome. Right. I, I know you've had the opportunity to meet some of the defectors and yeah. actually interview them. I've, I've read a lot of the books by the defectors and watched their TED Talks, and I can't imagine. Each one more hair like. curling than the next. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's the like worst place in the world. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, I tell you, um, I keep cutting you off, Ron, because I'm so excited by the subject. But um, the first, this sounds a little bit mean, maybe a little bit demeaning. I certainly don't mean it that way. But the first time I ever met a North Korean, I've since met many. What do, I mean, what do I mean by many? 20? No. 10? Maybe. Hmm. But the first time I met a, a person from North Korea was, I think, 10 years ago 
he, I can't remember the man's name, but he's the author of the famous memoir, The Aquariums of Pyongyang. Right, right. And I must tell you, Ron, uh, this may not sound very nice, but I don't mean it in any mean way. It was like I was shaking the hand of a man from another planet, from Neptune. I couldn't believe that I was meeting a North Korean after reading and writing about North Korea for so many years. Actually, to meet one was a bit surreal uh, because it's not called a hermit kingdom for nothing. Mm -hmm. No one goes in and no one comes out. Albania was like this in Europe. And here I was meeting a North Korean, and I felt not only was it a strange, I've, I've described it as a surreal feeling. It was an honor, frankly, and to meet such a brave man who was a witness. And as Solzhenitsyn and others have been witnesses, he was a witness to what was taking place in his country. Yeah, I, he's the one that I think met with George W. Bush in the White House. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, you also cited in the book, Andrea Sakharov, who said he didn't want to talk about human rights. He wanted to talk about specific cases. And Jay, I got to ask you, what's your take on Hong Kong? Because we keep an eye on Jimmy Lai. <laughs> and I just, I think he's another one of these incredible men that mm. it, it just amazes me. How do you see Hong Kong unfolding? When was a handover, Ron? Do you remember, was it 97? 97, that's right. And it was supposed to be for 50 years. Correct. Hong Kong would get 50 years of autonomy. Yeah. I must say, you tell me if you think this is too cynical. I'm surprised they've had this long. It, that's what a lot of people have said. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, Hong Kong will be swallowed by the, by, by the PRC. Uh, I suppose it's a matter of time. And a little like North Korea, uh, it's a question of how bloody it will be. But for one thing, Hong Kongers set a bad example uh, to the mainland Chinese, uh, because they set an example of Chinese people living with democratic rights, living in a relatively liberal atmosphere. Taiwan sets a terrible example for the mainland Chinese, because this is a Chinese country, a Chinese nation, really, that is free, democratic, and prosperous. And that is bad news for the Chinese Communist Party. Both Hong Kong and Taiwan are standing rebukes to it, which is why the party cannot abide either one of them. Right. I, I, I know you probably know Peter Robinson. Mm -hmm. He constantly interviews Jimmy Lai on his show, and he keeps asking him, why don't you just leave? You've got billions of dollars. Why, do you see people leaving Hong Kong citizens? Because I know the UK has granted them citizenship. Boris Johnson, Australia said they do so. We'll probably do something, I hope. Yes, I was just talking with Nathan Law, a young democracy leader and a former legislative council member, former political prisoner. He's a lot of formers, even though he's still in his 20s. He had to flee to London, mm. Yeah, which has a very generous policy toward Hong Kongers. Right. Um, you know, I know you admire Ronald Reagan, as do I. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, Jay, but I was named after him. My, my, mom act, my mom actually loved him as an actor, if you can believe that. Mm -hmm. all, all I can think of that, of that is the uh, scene in Airplane when, when the woman eats the bad fish or whatever and says, I haven't felt this bad since I saw that Ronald Reagan movie. Um, Listen, let me tell you something, Ron. <laughs> that man on the screen was very, very likable. Very likable. And I bet your mom saw this. I think a lot of women uh, did. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I don't. Th I, I don't think that's a silly choice at all. You know, he had this 
simple way, but not simplistic. I, like I love his, you know, the Cold War. I got an idea. We win, they lose. Mm. You know, he, and he didn't like Deton. He said, well, that isn't that what the farmer has with his turkey until Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you ever get a chance to meet Reagan? I'm afraid I did not. And, wow. But I've known a lot of Reagan's, I say a lot, several of Reagan's friends and, and many, many people who worked for him. And I pumped the friends. I pumped Bill Buckley for stories about Reagan. I pumped Van Galbraith, his ambassador to France. I pumped everyone I ever meet who had new Reagan for Reagan stories. I've sat down with Lou Cannon a lot, uh, uh, Reagan's foremost biographer, I guess. I... I I don't really tire of Reagan stories, Churchill stories, and Lincoln stories. Well, it, I never got the chance to meet William F. Buckley. I was at an NRI conference. Uh, I think it was in the post after Clinton won. And so they were trying to calm everybody down. And I don't think he made it uh, to that one because he had some type of conflict. But um, I think good Buckley if, stories. If, if, you, if you read him, Ron, and saw him on television... I would say you did know him. He, you could really know him through his works. And when I met him, I, I told him this. I felt that I knew him already. I'll give you one little thing about Buckley. Uh, there was some event, something, something on the conservative circuit that he wasn't going to that night. He said he didn't feel like it. And I said, oh, come on. Uh, um, and and he, he felt a little bit just slightly guilty about this. I said, oh, come on. You've, you've done this for years. You've paid your dues. You can certainly skip tonight. And he emailed back, but who will be charming? That <laughs> was very Bill. Very Bill. Remember what he wrote in a column? He said, Professor Carl Sagan in his testimony before the Senate committee was so arrogant, he reminded me of, well, me. <laughs> Bill was that. always saying things like that. That one line he had about Oprah, the woman who's alternatively skinny. And oh, it's even better than that. Forgive me, Ron. It's even better than that. Forgive me for, for, for correcting you. Yeah, please do. Uh, that woman who's either fat or thin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask you this for my dad, Jay, because he's a big golfer, and I, you write about golf a lot. And, yeah. uh, Just got back book. from the range before your show. Did you? The last okay. thing I did before your show. Yeah, hustled back from the range. You quoted a columnist from the Washington Post that had written this, you know, terrible article about Augusta, and, and she called it, you know, the, the most famous treehouse in America. It's Spanky and our gang for millionaires. <laughs> Have you ever played Augusta? Oh, from your mouth to God's ear, Ron, no. Um, I, I've come, I think, close-ish to an invitation, but uh, no. I played it many, many times in my fantasies, and pretty well, too. I've been on the back nine there on Sunday many, many times, including standing at the range, hacking away. Right, right. You, you, have you gone to a master's there? I ha Yes, I've attended yeah, a practice yeah. round. Yes. Okay, okay. How about you? No, no, but my dad's got, gone to a few masters, and he's just, Wonderful. yeah, that's his big dream in life. What yeah. did you think of Jack Nicholas coming out for Trump in the last 30 seconds that we have? I adore Jack Nicholas. He's one of my favorite people on earth. He's always supported Republican candidates. He's, he has uh, held rallies for them or starred in rallies for them in the Columbus, Ohio area where he's from. This one, though, since we're speaking honestly, Ron, was a little hard to swallow for this Nicholas idolater. Right, right. 
Yeah. Like you say, calling balls and strikes, you know, how do you ump Trump? Uh, it's really interesting. Well, Jay, this has been great. Unfortunately, we're up against our next break and folks, we'd like to remind you, check out the soul of We'll post full show notes with our conversation with Jay and links to all of his books and check us out on patreon.com slash TSOE now sponsored by 90 minds at 90 minds.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it from the boardroom to you voice america business network tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are back with Jay Nordlinger from National Review. And Jay, you very quite publicly left the Republican Party when John, Donald Trump got the, the nomination in 2016. And I guess we're thinking it's 95% chance that Biden is going to win. At least uh, Donald Trump really has to pull not only an inside straight, but an inside royal flush, I think, in order to to, to, uh, to pull this out. But wondering, what do you think the future of a Republican Party looks like sans Trump? And is that something that you envision you might be a part of? I think I'm pretty much done for life <laughs> when it comes to party <laughs> membership. Um, I was not just a Republican. I was a hard-bitten Republican. I was the most Republican person you ever met. I'd have voted for anyone practically with an R after his name. In fact, I once wrote an article about this titled, A Hopeless R. And I was shocked uh, when I left the Republican Party on the night of May 3rd, 2016, uh, when Donald Trump clinched the presidential nomination in the Indiana primary. In fact, I titled my piece about this, The Shock of Disaffiliation. Uh, but parties and movements uh, do change. And I am a Reaganite, and I haven't gone with the flow. And the flow is very much a Trumpian nationalist populist flow. And I'm afraid it's what the people want. 
And um, Roddick Sikorsky, uh, the journalist, writer, what else to call him, a Polish politician, statesman, former uh, foreign minister and defense minister, he said to me in a podcast a couple of years ago that the combination of big government, statism, paternal government, and let's say a right-wing cultural stance is the most potent electoral force on earth. I'm afraid that there are very few people who want what the likes of you and me and Ron are selling. I think relatively few people have a liberal spirit. Relatively few people want limited government, free enterprise, personal responsibility. I think most people are some kind of statist at heart. I don't really blame them, uh, but uh, people are looking for protection and they're looking um, for it from government. This is a very hard thing to get around. And I often say I annoy my friends, I'm sure, by saying that in 2016, there were 17 candidates in the Republican primaries and caucuses, 17. 15 of them acknowledged the need to reform entitlements, said there'd be a day of reckoning, said this was an urgent need, in fact, a moral imperative. Two did not, Donald Trump and Mike Huckabee. And don't nobody want to hear it, nobody. George W. Bush went out on a limb for Social Security reform. He grasped the third rail of American politics, and no one was behind him, including his fellow Republicans and the conservative movement. He was just about alone, but I admired him no end for sticking his neck out on that score. And now we measure stuff in the trillions. We've moved moved on from the billions to the trillions. And uh, there's a was a great cartoonist uh, that that talks about how for, for most people 900, 900 billion is more than a trillion. Like in the in, the, <laughs> yeah. in their in their head. So and I honestly do think that now that we're in this trillions, there's this. Well, it's just it's like a, it's a trillion. It's I don't know what the big deal is. You know, yeah, we've right. we, we spent two trillion. What's that's the right. big deal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I also, do you think that, um, sorry, in a democracy, the people are responsible. Yeah. Now, now leaders have an influence for good or ill. And there've been a lot of pusillanimous leaders. Uh, People say, oh, people are so proud of uh, speaking truth to power. Nonsense. The easiest thing in the world to do in a free country is speak truth to power. That costs you nothing. Far harder is to speak truth to the people. And that people have the real, that's where the real power lies. And very few uh, politicians are willing to do it. But in a democracy, the people are responsible. And we will not have uh, the, the kind of reform we need until the people consent to it. Great. I want to uh, turn your attention to uh, journalism. Uh, I saw a speech that you made at, where you were talking about one of your, your books. And uh, in it, you talk to you about yourself as a journalist. And one of the things I want to ask you about uh, journalism is, what do you think the state of journalism is today, true journalism? Awful. Awful. We've never had so much journalism and so many outlets, which is great. But, but politics and journalism have merged, and journalists behave like politicians. And, 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 and the public treats journalists like politicians. And tribalism has set in. Um, People like politicians, journalists often appeal to their to their base, to their constituency, and they tailor what they say to the readers instead of just giving it straight by their own lights. And some will like it, and some won't. 
And so I've seen a lot of journalists begin to act like politicians with political calculations. And that's crippling to a writer, absolutely crippling. Um, you've got to be free at the keyboard to pursue the truth as you uh, find it. And um, I, I wrote something recently where someone criticized JK. Is it Rowling or Rowling? Rowling. I would say Rowling. <laughs> and someone said, you know, can't you learn to read the room? If a writer reads the room most of the time, it is the kiss of death. You're not supposed to pander to an audience. I don't even like politicians who do this. And it's fatal to a writer. You can't be a real writer while worrying about the room and pandering to an audience. We had author uh, Warren Berger, not the Supreme Court Justice, different guy with, with an E, who, who's written a, a wonderful book that Ron and I both love called A More Beautiful Question, uh, referencing the E.E. E. Cummings poem. And he said I don't know it. His, his, his big challenge is he thinks that journalists just have gotten lousy at asking questions. They just don't know how to ask questions anymore, as silly as that sounds. They just like to talk about themselves. It takes... Um to ask questions, you must have a great sense of security. Um, there are a lot of people, there are interviewers and other journalists who like to show off. They're a little insecure and they want to prove what they know. Uh, the real interviewer wants to draw from the interviewee what he, the interviewee, knows. Bill Buckley was great at this. Bill Buckley was very, very smart and very, very knowledgeable. Everyone he met, not just on television, he wanted to learn something from the people he met. He knew he knew a lot. He, he, and ever, everyone knew it. He had plenty of opportunities to show off. When he was with you, he wanted to get from you what you knew that he didn't. And that expanded him. And he was a very expansive person. I'll, I, I'm, how do I tell the story and protect the guilty at the same time? Um, <laughs> I was in a room full of journalists. And we were talking to the national security advisor to the Israeli prime minister. Lots of people gave sort of speeches about the Middle East and, and maybe remembered to tack on a question at the end. They wanted to prove that they knew stuff and so on. Finally got to me. I'm sorry to tell the story because I'm the hero of it. So I feel like a jerk for telling it. But it got to me. I said, what's your own like to work for? I didn't care what I knew about the Middle East. I knew a hell of a lot about the Middle East. It, but I wanted to get from him something he knew that I didn't. And this young fellow, he's, I think he was in his 30s, gathered himself, paused for a long time, and delivered himself the most interesting answer of what it was like to work for this complicated man. Because th th that's something he could tell me that I didn't know. I wasn't even especially interested in his views on Gaza because they were a dime a dozen. But he could tell me that. Well, it's it, totally okay for you to be the hero of that story. I asked you the question, so it was perfect. You're the hero. <laughs> <That's> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. I can, I, can, I can brag about you. Um, but to that end, you know, the, the, the Bill, thing Bill Buckley, Bill Buckley, Ed said that this is not original with him. It's a quotation. But I don't remember who said it. He would like to quote, um, 99 of every 100 people are interesting. And so is the 100th, for he is the exception. 
I love that. That's that's fantastic. I heard you used that in the speech that I was watching Uh-oh. in order to prep for this. So it was it's a great mm. great quote. Uh, you know, and I, the example that I was thinking as you were talking is this whole is the Bob Woodward situation with his book coming out where he quote revealed that Trump thought that the virus was led on that, that it was worse. Did didn't you have a responsibility if 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 millions of people were or not, it, thousands of people at the point were dying to 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 come forth with it instead of waiting for your dang book to come out? <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting yes yes that's a very interesting question yeah I, I was going to say something about Trump but your focus was on Woodward and uh, yes yeah yeah. I, I, I agreed with what David Frum said about, about that interview David thought and I think too that Trump was simply lying that, 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 that he, he wasn't aware of it that he just pretended to be later to be kind of cool uh, but, but who's to say you know it, yeah, it's all just a blur. The whole the whole Trump administration is just. Ron and I were joking. What's the What's the presidential library going to look like? His Twitter feed is that, gonna be, is that the lot, lot lot of cable TV watching in there? And and the man spent so much time watching TV. If you were president. I mean, wouldn't you want like, you know, intelligence briefings and you wouldn't you want to call up authors and composers and movie stars and controversial figures and so on? And I am. Um, I once knew, I knew I have known in my life a former ambassador to the court of St. James's, Phil Later. He was a Clinton ambassador to the UK. And I said, it seems to me that one great thing about that job would be the power of invitation. You think, you know, who would I like to invite to lunch or dinner? They'll probably come, right? He said, absolutely. So what a what a perk of the job. Imagine being president. Wow. You guys would be at my first dinner, but but don't don't don't, don't wait up nights for my election. I I I I, I, don't, I don't think I can make a good dog catcher anywhere. <laughs> well, thanks. We are honored by that comment, but we are unfortunately already against our last break. Want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to ask tsoe. Also, ratethispodcast.com slash tsoe allows you to guess what rate this podcast and we love to hear those pod those podcast ratings and we do promise to read every single one of our reviews on the air but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage follow us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing 
hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Jay Nordlinger from National Review. And Jay, there's so many things I want to say about what your, your uh, segment with Ed there. But I want to jump to your book, Children of Monsters, uh, that you wrote in 2000 or was published in 2015. You focused on 20 dictators, most of whom ruled in the 20th century, except I guess Fidel Castro did make it into the 21st. What motivated you to write that book? Because when I saw it come out, it was like, do I want to read this? And then something <laughs> inside me said, yes, I do. This is, <laughs> this is interesting. Thank you, Ron. I, I found it so. Um, I was on a trip to Albania for reasons I could explain. And Albania had this terrible dictator, Hoja, for I think about 40 years. He was really the Kimmel Sung of, of Europe. Uh, he had his own hermit kingdom, as I, I think I said uh, earlier. It's just a terrible communist, Maoist, Kimmel Sungist dictatorship. And I was um, being shown around the capital, Tirana, by a, a young man from a government ministry. I'd given a speech or two in the city. And I was just thinking about this name, Hoja. What, and I thought, I wonder whether he had children. And what must it be like to bear a name synonymous with oppression and, and, and indeed evil? Uh, if he, he had had children, could they go out? Did they have to change their name? Were they in exile? What's the story? So I asked about this. He did indeed with his wife have, have three children. And uh, one was doing this, the other was doing that. And I thought, you know, a magazine writer like me is, uh, as my old colleague, Matt Labash would say, you never know where your next meal is coming from. So a magazine writer is always looking for his next subject. So I thought, huh, the Hoja kids, that would make a good magazine piece. I also thought you could do a survey of such children, sons and daughters of dictators, and write a book called Children of Monsters. And so I, I put that idea on the back burner and years later brought it forward. Wow. And, and, you know, you say something in there that I just think is so profound. You say, we, we sometimes grade on a curve. Franco, maybe Pinochet, I'd rather live under them than Stalin or Mao or Pol Pot. Sure. Isn't sure. It, and you'd rather, you'd rather live under Deng Xiaoping than under Mao. Right. Mm -hmm. That's kind of you, what... You don't uh, want to live under either one, but if you had to choose, yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because isn't this the point that Gene Kirkpatrick made in Dictatorships and Double Standards? Yes, that was part of it. Uh, she, I think she also thought, we'd have to go back and reread, she also thought that authoritarian governments had a, a, a better chance of evolving to, to democratic government. And Jay, I've got to ask you about this, even though I know it's probably not true, but it just blew my mind when I read it in your book that Hitler, we think, had no children, but mm -hmm. some guy's mother said, oh, no, he, this is my son. There and was a claimant. got a picture of him. Well, the they looked spookily alike. Yeah, they there was did. a claimant. And I remember talking to the great 
Hitler biographer Ian Kershaw about this. And he said he was, there was no way, he said. But um, I, I think uh, it's been a while since I, I, I wrote that book. But as, as, as I recall, uh, I think I said that um, wh- whether this fellow was Hitler's son or not is almost irrelevant because what, what we're looking at is he understood himself to be Hitler's son. What was the effect on him? And the answer, very, very bad. Wow. Yeah. And, you, you know, you go through 20 dictators and you lay out their kids and kind of tell their story. And the, the one that's kind of fascinating is Stalin's daughter. Svetlana, Be- what a woman. Yeah, because she defected. And thanks to you, I went out and read her one of her books. And it was just fascinating. Mm, she's a wonderful writer. Yeah. Yeah. She wanted to be a writer. And in fact, well, she was at least a memoirist. Uh, she wrote uh, three memoirs, um, one of which is magnificent, the second uh, of which the first of which is magnificent the second of which is is very good and the third of which is kooky and not good but but interesting also yeah Svetlana um she had a lot to deal with wasn't easy being Stalin's daughter her mother committed suicide when Svetlana was I can't remember seven something like this mm-hmm. she was saved to the extent she was saved by a wonderful Christianly nanny she had her brother Vasily was brought up by the his father's security agents who were the meanest toughest guys in the whole NKVD and uh, he turned out to be a little monster unfortunately um, son of a, a bigger monster but Svetlana to an extent broke free uh, literally and figuratively I mean she defected I love the story of her defection uh, uh, to our embassy in New Delhi uh, I can't remember the name of the the person on duty, but she walks in and and the man says, <clears throat> "So you say you're Stalin's daughter, the Stalin?" <laughs> I, I, there's, there's something just as we'd say in my native Midwest, or something that tickles me about that line. Yeah, yeah. Didn't she say also that she wished her mother had married a carpenter? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But then she had then she had bouts of being proud of Stalin's daughter. She was back and forth. To use that horrible modern psychological term, she was conflicted. Uh, she was a little nuts, but far less nuts than she might have been. I mean, what, what that, that woman had to face, uh, I think is hard for the rest of us to imagine, though I tried to. Right, right. You, you say in there, and I found it interesting too, she said uh, she was a registered Republican and National Review was her favorite magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Bill, Bill, met her, Bill Buckley met her, yeah. She lived oh, for okay. a time in Princeton, New Jersey, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And didn't she get hooked up with like Frank Lloyd Wright and his wife and live somewhere in Phoenix? Aren't, aren't, Wasn't aren't, that her? Aren't, aren't you right? Um, it was she, really strange. She married Frank Lloyd Wright's top lieutenant. Right. Yes, and had a late in life child with him. And this woman, uh, Stalin's granddaughter, at the time I wrote my book, was, I, I believe, running a, a, a boutique of antique clothes and jewelry in Portland, Oregon. Can mm. you imagine Stalin's granddaughter? The lives people lead, you know? We don't get to choose our parents. It's true. Sins of the father, right? Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, no yeah. way. Yep. I talked to one of Edie Amin's sons. Uh, and, um, no, we don't get to choose. 
I have to ask you, Jay, because we've been kind of talking about this too, you know, what's going on with China and the NBA over there and, and even yeah. Disney, you know, yeah. Th- 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 oh, yeah. praise and their credits and their mo- and even changing oh. their movies and self-censoring. And, uh-huh. I, and I just, I, I think back 20 or 30 or maybe 40 years and say, would, would the NBA or Disney have done business with South Africa during apartheid? No, because South Africa was a cause in the United States, was a human rights cause. And people were shamed. Remember, I ain't going to play Sun City. That that was a line from my youth, uh, I think. And uh, people were, (laughs) they didn't use the term at the time. I was going to say woke. Uh, People were alert to injustice in South Africa. And uh, they, they seemed to be ignorant of grotesque abuses in China. And if they're not, they don't especially care. This is a one-party dictatorship with a gulag, long called the Lao Gai, and there's a new gulag in Xinjiang province or East Turkestan, as the Uyghur people call it. And it is Jerome Cohen, the dean of China's college in the United States, uh, uh, called this a possible pre-genocidal situation. And it doesn't say such things lightly. He's early 90s, and he lost a lot of people in the Holocaust. And he was the first one uh, I was aware of to really sound the alarm about what was going on. And we say never again, and it's a it's a nice it's a, I think it's a it's a hopeful slogan or maybe an aspirational slogan, but never again happens over and over again. And the same man, I call him a Gauleiter, the same man in charge of brutalizing Tibet for the Chinese Communist Party is now in charge in East Turkestan. You know, those of us who believe in free markets really got this wrong. We thought that if we traded with them and opened up, let them into the WTO, they would become more like us. We were- I remember when I interviewed Condoleezza Rice in 1999, I think, she referred to this as an iron law that that. Uh, political liberalization follows economic liberalization uh, as night follows day or whatever you like, or as Wednesday follows uh, Tuesday. And the CCP so far has been able to suspend this law. I think I brought this up with Condi Rice later on. In fact, I know I did. And she said, yes, but history sometimes takes a while, you know, and, but it's moving awfully slowly for me, not to mention more than a billion Chinese. Yeah. What are they supposed to do in the meantime? Yeah. It's just an intractable problem, like like Hong Kong in some ways, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ron, do you think that, do they have proper markets or is it more kind of mercantilism? You know, George Gilder, who I love and is mm-hmm. big, my, my mentor for years, he came on the show and said they're more capitalist than the United States. Mm-hmm. This was during the whole Huawei uh, kerfuffle. Mm. And that, that, that line from George killed me because, I mean, he's anti-communist his whole life. He, mm-hmm. You know, his, his conservative credentials are as good as yours or anybody else's. And Well, I'm that, a lifelong fan of George Gilder, but as we say in the medical field, uh, there are second opinions and thirds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, Jay, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great honor to be able to chat with you. 
been been such a pleasure and and i'm not much for tribalism but i i i'd be i'm happy to be a member of your tribe if you'll have me thank you very much uh, we'd love to have you back we'd love to have you back yeah. thank you so much have you become a well ed uh what do we have on store for next week we're going to determine that this week ron we have a couple okay. things that were in the percolator but uh we're, we'll we'll work it out the one week we don't have a guest that's amazing because we have a string of them so looking forward to it. i'll see you in 167 hours This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.